I want to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Psalms. And if you're using one of our few Bibles, or maybe even your Bible, here's a quick tip. If you're ever looking for the Psalms, put your thumbs right in the middle of the Bible and pop it open, and generally that's going to be where the Psalms are. But I can even give you the specific page if you're using one of our few Bibles. We're going to be on page 472. And by the way, that pew Bible that's there, it is yours if you do not have a copy of God's Word that you can read and understand on your own. You may have a copy, but it may be written in a style of English that that you just, whenever you read it, you cannot find the coherency in it. And so we want you to know those pew Bibles, they're not just there for religious services and not just there for decoration. Our greatest goal is to get God's Word into people's hands and ultimately in their hearts. And this is one of the ways we do that. It's our gift to you if you do not have one. Now, as the techie on the screen said earlier, it will be on the screen, but there is something about having the practice of opening God's Word and having a a physical copy in your hands. I, I, I don't know what the difference is. Maybe it's the distractions of all the other apps that can be found on your e-device, but if you're using an e-device, we certainly don't shun you. We, in fact, even have notes on the Bible app, uh, the uh, the one that's called version. If you're looking for it, you can certainly follow along with notes there. And if you ever need anybody to walk you through what that looks like, I can help you do that after service. Not, not now, but uh, we're glad to have it. So, before we read from God's Word, I want to give you just a quick snapshot of where we are. We're on the eighth part of a series that we're doing called Growing Up Together. And I know like you go to multiple churches, they can have multiple different series, that kind of thing. And and there's nothing wrong with doing series as long as they're based on what God's Word has said and, and follow faithfully to that. But our whole goal in this series is to be people that grow up together. It's very easy to kind of put a defense up and say, My personal walk with Jesus is just between me and Jesus. But that is actually antithetical. That actually goes against what the Word says, that we're to grow up together as the church. Now, there may be people that are leaders and teachers, and they have a greater knowledge of God's Word than you find yourself having at this moment. But nevertheless, God's people, as brothers and sisters in Christ, are to care for one another in such a way that they encourage one another, that they spur one another on, that they grow together and love one another in such a way that they share God's Word together and grow up in that knowledge. And as they do, they will learn about God's command to go and to take that which was given them to give it to others. They're going to learn about God's authority over all heaven and earth. They're going to understand that this life we talk about as believers, as followers of Christ, is not something that we're trying to do to say, I am trying to better myself. That I consider myself a good person trying to be better. Or it's not, I'm trying to course correct myself. I'm a bad person and I need to get good. That's not what it's about. It's about trusting who God is, what God has done, what God says, and how that transforms our life. And that is only a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We have talked about how knowing those things, that God has given us the gospel, 
that God has sent us out with the Gospel, that God has done a work in our life through Himself and the Holy Spirit, our lives begin to cultivate a, a understanding of spending a faith and practice, a time in God's Word, that we understand what prayer means, that it's communicating with God, that we understand that both of those elements are meant to lead us towards a life of obedience, that we're actually following Jesus. Not following an idea, not following simply a philosophy, we're following Jesus. But here is what I have seemed to find. Many of us want the blessings of God. I, I found this in many churches, and I found this not only in many churches, I found this when I look in the mirror. Many of us want the blessings of God, but we don't follow the prescription that God has given for those blessings. So with that being said, let's stand in honor of God's Word and the reading of God's Word and see what the Bible says about those blessings and how they are received out of His grace. Psalm 1 says, How happy, or your version may say, blessed is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever He does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Let us pray. Lord God, today this is Your Word that You have graciously given to us. It is a treasure far above any other treasures. Because in it, it shows us who you are, what you have done and what you've said. So God, I pray today as we've spent time reading your word, we would also be instructed by your word. And that would be an activity of you, the living God, dwelling among us, teaching us and showing us the way we must trust and obey. God, have your way in this time. And in doing so, help us to worship you in Jesus name. Amen. Maybe seated. So when we get into the Bible, sometimes we have people that are here and, and maybe if they're just honest, we're not uh, degrading them or condemning them. But if they're honest, they say, you know, I don't really have a firm grasp on the Bible. I mean, I have a Bible, 
but really how to handle it in a way that is God honoring, in a way that is uh, growing of my own soul, I wrestle with that. And so we always take time each week to, to talk about how to handle God's Word in a way that is appropriate, in a way that is useful and effective, in a way that helps not only glorify God, but bring about our good. And so some of those questions are, first of all, what does the Bible say? The goal of a church service is not to just offer a TED Talk. TED Talks are fine. There's nothing wrong with listening to TED Talks. But just to have someone come up and spur a bunch of inspirational ideas without a source and and a foundation is not the way the Bible is to be presented. And so when we open up God's Word, either on a Sunday morning like this, or in a connection group, or even in your personal time, hopefully that's going on during the week, the first thing we want to do is not just listen to what a bunch of other people say about the Bible, but what does the Bible say itself? I have a lot of books in my library, and they teach me a lot of things about theology and interpretations and devotionals and different experiences in life. And they are good and healthy and useful. But if they supersede what the Bible says, I have placed them on a higher authority and I need to listen to what the Bible says. All of us do. We also need to see what it means. That this Bible was not just something that was like dropped out of heaven one day and there it was. It was not found under a rock. It it did not come on golden tablets or anything like that. It was written over a period of 1,500 years in three different continents with three different languages, by over 40 different authors penning the words, but all of it inspired, all of it breathed out by God. All of it useful. All of it profitable for training, for correcting, for rebuking, for equipping the saints so they may be ready and prepared for every good work. This is what the Bible is. But we need to take time to say, all right, well, where does this come from? Like the Psalms here, where do they mean? Well, the Psalms, they're, they're a deeply relational book. It's a really great book if you're needing to focus your prayer and worship life to praising God and, and, and dealing with the, the conditions of the human soul. Because you'll see moments where people are joyful and jubilant and excited, and you'll see people wrestling with the deepest, darkest moments of tor- torment. And yet all of them turning back to saying, God... You are worthy of praising this. I may not understand what you're doing, but I understand that you are still God, that all of this is in your hands, and all of it is meant to bring you praise. And here, the psalmist, when we're asking what it means, he starts out and says, this is the contrast of life. There are those that are blessed, and there are those that aren't. And what is the distinctive difference in the middle? That's pretty relevant for us today, isn't it? That's relevant for every day. That's a timeless question. How can I know the blessings of God? The Psalms teach us this lifestyle. And it begins by pointing us to the right direction. We're going to look at that a little bit more. We may ask, well, how does it apply? We can't change the meaning of Scripture. What it says is what it says. What it means is what it means. But perhaps you are dealing with a different struggle right now than your brother or sister that's right across from you. You you may be feeling with having different conflicts or be in a different season of life. The meaning doesn't change, but the application, the significance where you're at right now 
may be strangely different. It all goes back to the same root, but strangely different from the one across the room from you. It may be different from the one across the hallway from you in your home. It may be different from the one that you share the marriage bed with. But the application, it doesn't change the meaning, but it still has significance to each and every one of us. But the last question we must ask is, well, I trust what God is saying. So here we're going to look at this lifestyle that we see what it means to be blessed by enjoying, by embracing, by experiencing God's promises, His purposes, and His presence. When we, when we see those from His Word, it helps give us faith, it gives us strength, it gives us courage. And so, first of all, we have to ask, the Bible makes this question that there is a blessed one and there is a wicked one. And what is the difference? Well, first of all, let's ask the question, who is the blessed one? Who does the psalmist say, as he is moved and inspired by God to pen these words, is the blessed one? And he makes this careful distinction, first and foremost, that I think we need to understand. First of all, the blessed one, the blessed person, doesn't abide in the spiral of sin. They don't make their home there. Now, I need to be very careful. I know each and every one of us battle with battles of the flesh, battles of this world, battles with the enemy, and there are daily struggles. I don't want you feeling convicted that if you still have a problem with with sin in your life, and, and you, but you're trying and you're seeking to follow God, that if that's the reality of your life, you're not a follower of God. I don't, I don't want you mixing that up. What the Bible is talking about here, what the psalmist as he is moved by God and talking about the blessed one, he's saying, first and foremost, the blessed one doesn't make his abode. He doesn't make his home in this spiraling place of sin. It's not a comfortable place for him. It's not a habitual place for him. It's not a place where, I'm okay with this, place for him. What does that mean by that? You see, Sin has a spiraling effect, especially when we make our home there. Now, the Bible says we don't have to. In fact, the Bible says that when we are tempted, that none of those temptations that we face are uncommon to man. You may think you have the greatest temptation whatsoever, that your battle is not like anybody else's, but the Bible doesn't say that. No matter what the sin is. Whether it's suffering from liabilities or same-sex attraction. The Bible says those sins are common to man. Wherever you put that on the spectrum. I know we have a tendency to put things on a weighty scale like, well, this sin is worse than that. No, no. Sin is sin. It doesn't give us excuse to push off our sin and say, well, sin is sin, so it doesn't matter what I do. No, sin is sin. All of it makes us guilty before God. Some of it leaves a greater wake of destruction, though. But the Bible says we're not to make our home there. Because when we make our home, it spirals. We tend to get deeper involved in it. First of all, we become like the person here who is walking in the advice of the wicked and standing in the pathway with sinners and sitting in the company with mockers. In other words, this is what happens. First of all, if you're making your home and being comfortable there, you find yourself easily influenced by sin. You, you, the advice of sinners, 
you're cool with it. That's great. That's where I want to live. I, I like the advice of people that are sinful. Secondly, not only am I being influenced with them, now I'm standing in the pathway alongside them. Not, I'm not only the, the one that's hearing the advice, I'm very comfortable there. I'm identified through my sin. No, this is what I do. This is just who I am. I'm just like this. It, my, it runs in my family. I've always been this way. I don't know if anything will ever change it. I'm known by my friends as fill in this blank with this sin. It becomes a part of our identifying marker. And, and my friends, I'm going to tell you, if that's a place where you live, that not only are you influenced by sin, but, but now you've kind of been identified, this is just who I am and what I do. That is a very dangerous place to be. Because what it says is, I would rather be identified with sin than I would be blessing from the Savior. There is a distinctive place. And a choice has to be made at times. Now, I can't force that choice upon you. In fact, I would warn you not to even try to make that choice for yourself. Say, you know what, Pastor, you're right. I'm going to pull myself by my, up by my own bootstraps. I'm going to tell you a very dire warning. If that's the only way you're seeking to rid yourself and find deliverance from sin by pulling yourself out of it, you're going to pull yourself out of one hole and end up in another. Because the only power to deliver from sin is not found in the self. It's found in the Savior. Only He can redeem. But this is not the only part of spiraling of sin. It, it moves from being influenced by sin and identified through sin to the indoctrinating of sin. To where not only are you identified with it, but... Man, you're a champion of it. This is good. It makes me feel good. It'll make you feel good too. You ever notice how that works? When we're, we know we're guilty of something in our life, there's really twofold things. We can trust Jesus and try to find deliverance from it, or we can say, hey, come over here! Do what I'm doing! That way I'm not alone. And we become indoctrinating others of the sin. We gotta be honest when we listen to the counsel of the wicked. Cause we do it all too often. And you know the greatest counsel of the wicked we listen to? The unholy trinity. Me, myself, and I. That's the greatest counsel of the wicked. Man, I'm just trusting my own soul. Be careful, by the way, of those that say, just follow your heart. Because the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can discern it? I saw a funny comic, I don't know if I've shared this before, but it was saying, it was a mom telling her son, hey, son, you know, whenever you face hard decisions and what you're going to do in life, just follow your heart. The son's all along and says, okay, heart, what are we going to do? The heart goes, sin. And the son goes, yeah! Because that's what we do. We, we listen to that counsel. And we think it's good. But the Bible says the blessed one is not the person that lives there. They don't make their home there. In fact, 
the blessed one makes his home in a radically different place. Radically different. Because if we're honest, the world is not radically moving towards us. We just say a very small minority of the world lives in this strange, odd place. They live and learn and love the Word of God. They learn, live, and love the Word of God. It says that the blessed one, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates on it day and night. In other words, when it comes to the Word, they're willing to say, this is the place I could be, but by God's grace, this is where I need to be. And I'm going to strive to be there. I won't get it right all the time. I'll be honest, I stand before you, I don't get it right all the time. But my life goal and and the goal of the Christian, the goal of the follower of Jesus is to be a person who is constantly being engaged and learning and loving and living the Word of God. In other words, they, they want to be a person that says, my life is directed by the Word. It is its instruction. That's the word it's used here. The instruction of the Lord. It directs me. And when it comes to the question of who's going to have the ultimate authority, that's a question of, well, who has the big G on their name? Seems like an empty cliche, but it's very often how we take our identity and say, you know what, I think my thought process, my heart, my viewpoint, my experience, my reasoning, my rationale, my feelings, my identity, my fill-in-the-blank, has a higher say than the one whose name is God. And we take what is good and we give it the identity of a God instead of the Lord. We need to be careful what directs us. And the Bible is given to us so that we may have it and treasure it and live it and store it in our life. That we may not only be directed by it, we may delight in it. We may dwell with it. Delighting in it, this time of meditation. This, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. He's directed, he's delighting, and he meditates. He's dwelling with it night and day. Not just a small snippet, a sliver of time that we give to Jesus. But dwelling with it. Now, it's interesting this word meditates. Now, that would seem interesting when you think about like religion and faith and worldviews and philosophies and all the different thought processes that come across the world. But if we're really honest, as Baptists, the word meditate just sounds across a little strange to us, right? Right? How many of you just like, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time in meditation each day. I don't want to raise my hand. I might feel weird. Right? Because we don't like that word. Because when we think of meditation, we think of someone sitting with a stereotype. I understand this is a stereotype and a caricature. But we think of someone sitting cross-legged. Maybe there's some kind of scent burning on, on, on a candle. Maybe there's some weird m- music. Maybe they're listening to Inya. I don't know. Nothing that Inya's bad. But, you know, that that's kind of what we think of. Maybe they're in a, you know... Strange looking robe. 
we kind of think of that. Maybe they've got little symbols in their fingers. We think of, we paint that picture of meditation. But the Bible does not give us that picture. That's just the way it's been taken into different viewpoints. The Bible paints the idea of meditation as really wrestling with what you're reading. Really wrestling with what you're learning. Really wrestling with what you're storing. And seeing the value in it and the application of it. It's where it's like so much there that it kind of constantly is like you're thinking and muttering over it. That's the, the Hebrew word for meditation. And it's like a growl. You're wrestling with so much you just can't let it go from your lips. You're like, All right, is this really real? Did he really say that? Does, does this really mean that? It's constantly there. So I want to give you some, some ideas about what does meditation and memorization look like and why it's necessary not only to study God's Word, but to store God's Word. That this is an essential practice in our life, in our faith as followers of Jesus. Part of it means that we picture it. As we're reading God's Word, we slow down enough to picture it. It is very easy to take time and say, I am studying God's Word by cramming as much information and text as possible to where we don't even take time to picture it, to slow down and pace ourselves to see it. When we start reading, take time to pause. And ask yourself, when you're trying to picture, what does this spiritual truth look like? What does it look like when the rubber meets the road? If, if someone was doing this, what would that be? What, what was going on when it was said? Picture the setting of the psalmist here as he's declaring to people over 2,000 years ago. That actually, this, is, this would have been about 1,500 years ago at least when this text was written. Picture it. And then ponder it. Not only picture what was going on in the moment, but mull it over. Chew on it like a delicious piece of bacon. I mean, let it saturate you. Like, man, that's got some flavor to it. Man, that, that's potent. Man, that's strong. Repeat it over and over. Wrestle with it. What does the text mean? What do the individual words mean? What is God trying to say to me through it? Picture it and ponder it. And then personalize it. Don't, don't try to put it in some abstract, well, that's for these people or for that long ago or for this moment when we come together as church. What does it look like to personalize it in my life? What does it specifically mean and apply to me? What actions need to happen for the truth of God's Word to become a reality in His follower, in me? And then pray over it. Because once again, the Bible is not too tempting to tell you to try to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps or win with your own merits. It is not presenting a works-based religion that says if you do these things, it's going to be good. No, it's saying, God, I realize that I am a vacuum when it comes to living this out. It is void in my life. And apparently, if I didn't be good for goodness sake on my own and figure this out on my own, but you have presented it to me. Obviously, you've presented it to me so that you can live it out through me. That I need you to put there what's not there. I need you to help me know what I don't know. I need you to help me follow where I have never followed before. Because on my own, if I'm honest, I won't do it. 
I will listen to the other advice. I will attempt to follow my own ways. I will stay in my own lane. Instead of turning. You may think, okay, well, that's great, Pastor. Those are great points and they all have the letter P, so there's that. But is there any really benefit to this? I mean, is it really going to change where I am right now? If if I put this into practice, is there going to be a different me and a different walk with me and the Lord? If this really becomes reality, or is it just busy work? Is it just busy work? Years ago, churches began doing a new strategy. Especially churches in America. And this was the strategy. Hey, if you come to us, we're going to give you a good show. If you come to us, you're going to be uplifted. Someone's going to take charge. And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. If if, if you feel led, you can give. If you feel happy, you can sing. If, if, if you really are spiritual, we'll even provide a way for you to volunteer. But everything else, just know, the preacher's going to take care of witnessing, the musician's going to be top quality. And if not, we'll, we'll figure something else out. Because we've got to be a better show than the guy down the street. And, and when it comes to Bible time, you don't even have to bring it. We'll, we'll print it in the book for you. And we'll put it on the screen for you. And when you go home, you don't even have to read it. Years ago, this became the model. That we'll just do bigger, better, best, And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to memorize Scripture. You don't have to give. You don't have to be obedient. You don't have to do anything. Because we don't want people feeling comfortable. We just want them to stay and fill some seats so we feel good about ourselves. And those numbers will count. I was talking to someone this week. And they said, you know, whenever they first started as a Sunday school teacher, and this is not out of some other church, This is here. And this was a long time ago, not like a few weeks ago. They said that they they presented some young children some Bible verses to try to memorize. And the leadership of the church came to them and said, oh, we don't do that. You can't send kids home with homework. They won't want to come back. You wouldn't want to put an expectation on following Jesus. That may not be the words that was used at the moment. But that is the sentiment. But that is simply not the case. Following Jesus is a dwelling place with Him. And the benefits that's found with spending time not only studying God's Word, but letting it saturate in your soul and storing it in your heart, this is how the Bible says it is beneficial for you. It keeps you from sin. Like if you spend time in God's Word, it's going to put a preventative barrier there that you're going to be confronted with things that, oh, snap! The Bible says this is sin. Stuff that I've been doing that I shouldn't be doing. 
or stuff that I have not been doing that I should have been doing. By the way, the Bible's label of sin is not just those things that are no-nos. It's those things that we avoid that are yes-yeses. And it's going to talk to us about keeping us fit. I've treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against God. It's going to transform your thinking that as you begin looking through the word, you're going to be able to filter the world the way you see the world a lot. It's going to equip you to share your testimony that you do not lack anything. It's going to provide direction for your life. It's going to be a lamp unto your feet. It's going to produce spiritual growth in your life. It's going to equip you to fight temptation. That's why Jesus battled the devil himself. The devil himself came to tempt Jesus. That's a pretty big deal because the devil cannot be everywhere at one point. He's not equal to God. But he chose to say, oh, that's a big fish. I'm going after Jesus. And what did Jesus come back with? And be like, oh, you don't know who I am. I live in Jerusalem. That's not how he did it. He didn't say, you don't know who my family is. That's not how Jesus flexed. It's not. He battled the enemy with the word. Maybe like, pastor, that's too simple. Have you done it? Have you believed it? Have you trusted and obeyed in it? I found that on my excuse. It's just too simple, Jesus. Yeah, but have you tried it? Well, no. Well, something more complex. Well, something make me feel like I accomplished something. Instead of saying, you did it all. Second question, how is one blessed? The Bible gives us a clear picture here. It gives us this picture of of cultivating something that's healthy and growing and vibrant. It says the blessed one is first planted, and they're planted in a good place. A providential place. A place of God's own choosing. They're, they're provided for in that place by streams of flowing water. They're, they're not put in a drought place. They're, they're given exactly what they need. They're, they're a productive place. That They're bearing their fruit in their season. That, that they're not useless. That they're accomplishing something. Uh, Their blessing is persistent. It says that their leaf does not wither. That that God doesn't say, well, okay, I'm going to withdraw from you a little bit. I know that's a teaching that's out there. But God never forsakes any of His children. He is with us always, persistently, even to the end of the age. And that what God uses this blessing for is to bring about good for us, and good through us. That whatever they do prospers. I know some people will take that word prosper, and all of a sudden they start saying, cha-ching, cha-ching, dollar signs, jet planes, and everything else. That is not what the prospering means. It means that they understand that God will bring His good to them, and He will use that good to influence good around them. That what happens provides for that which is near it. This is how one is blessed. And, and I want to ask you this question. You may say, is the blessing of God worth it? Is having His blessing worth it? If you were planted somewhere that God chose for you to be, and He says, I will provide for you, and I will be persistent to you, and I will be productive in you, and, and provide prosperous good to you and through you, 
Is there anything else that you would ask for that would not be more glorifying to self? If we ask for anything else, I would say it'd probably be like, I'm trying to bring more glory to me. Because all those things I see are good. I can't see another promise that God would provide in that. Especially when I know when the ultimate blessing is found in that. But let's look at the alternative. What is the alternative other than blessings? The Bible paints two pictures. Those who are blessed and those who are not. This is the wicked. The lost. Those without God. A professor whose last name was Havner was talking about the Titanic. And he says, I was actually alive, very young, but alive at the time when the Titanic sunk. And he said, you know, on that ship that took off, there were people from all types of walks of life. They would be identified as rich, poor, middle class. They'd be identified as uh, billionaires of the day and some just barely making it. And they all took a cross on that ship at the same time. But when the ship crashed, there was only two designated points of view in the papers that were reported. Those lost and those saved. All other distinctions were washed away. And here the Bible paints that stark reality that there is those who are blessed and saved and righteous and those who are lost and wicked. And the alternative here, the Bible paints, is the wicked are those who are perishing and the wicked are those who are punished. Now, I don't find joy in sharing that message with anybody. I don't find any pastor that finds joy in telling people about the wicked being punished, the lost being damned. I don't find any pastor that finds that joy. Or even using that word. But the Bible paints this picture. And it says, this is the glim look. It says they're like chaff. You know what chaff is? This is how... Sad and perishing it is. Chaff is the dust particles that are left after they thresh the wheat. It's just the stuff that breaks out and, and it's just dirt and, and unused particles. And after they get the grains out, the, the wind comes in as they open the doors and the chaff goes... And it's gone no more. No one knows anything about it. That's all it is. And the Bible paints this picture that without the blessings that come from the grace of God, without the salvation and righteousness that He alone provides, that is what our life is. And gone. And how dire a picture that is because we can honestly look at people around us and we think, man, every single marker of their life seems to say achievement, status, level of position gratification. And yet when it all is said and done, at the end of the day, that's what's going to be left in their life. Unless they find salvation. Unless they find the blessing of a Savior. They will not stand in the judgment because all of that thing, all of those things will amount to dust in the wind. I don't know why that's in my head right now. But it's cool and sad. That's the default alternative. Why would anyone choose that? 
Why would anyone stay there? I'll tell you one reason why. Because they don't know there's anything else. And it's our job to share that. And secondly, because everything in the world, this spiraling place of sin, the advice of the wicked, the pathway of the sinners, the company of marketers has, has influenced and identified and indoctrinated that this is what it is. And we as a church say, no, there's, there's something greater. There's a blessing. And let me show it to you because I have spent time studying, being saturated, and storing, and seeking to live out this. This blessing that tells me who God is and what He has done and what He has said and that His blessings are far greater. Why do blessings exist? That is our last question. It is because there is a Savior. That is because there is good news that's called the Gospel. It's because there is a God who is holy in all He does. And yes, He will hold the wicked and the righteous into judgment. And He will see the offense of their sin. But those who have trusted in the promised and provided One of Jesus, the One who was God and took on the flesh of man and went to die on the cross in the place of sinful man so that they could become next to holy God, they could go to be with God in heaven in all of His holiness, What greater blessing is found in the gracious gift that Jesus has made known to us? And yet, the Gospel is made known to us so that we may respond to it, and that our eternity may be changed, and that our life may be transformed, and yet it's the one message that's such good news that so many are afraid to share. I wonder why that is. I believe it's because we're not following the prescription. That we have not come to a place where we see God's promises and His provisions and His power and His presence that's made known in the Word and it's meant to give us faith and courage and strength. We have not studied or saturated ourselves or stored it in ourselves. And so when it comes ready to the people that we know we need to share it with, we're kind of like, well, I got nothing. Which is sad. Because the Bible says for the follower of Jesus, you don't have nothing. You have it all. And you have enough to share. Take what you're learning and serve it and share it and speak it. And let others know that there is a blessing that is available, not because of our own achievement, not because of some attempt at religion of pulling ourselves over by our bootstraps. No, because there is a Savior who loves us and He watches over the righteous. So find Him and find His righteousness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we have spent time in Your Word and I pray that it would be fruitful that it would fulfill the promise that You have made in it, that it would not return void. I do not know what that looks like in this moment. But I notice we we have a moment to respond to Your grace. I pray that we would do it appropriately. That for those who need to find the peace that's available in You, that they would come and cling to You, Jesus, the Savior. For those who have been putting aside that next step of following after You, I pray they would take that next step and be obedient. For those that are being called to serve You faithfully with their lives, maybe even to leave 
a vocation to be fully committed to the ministry. God, I pray You would call them out and You would send them and they would respond. What that looks like today, I do not know. But I know that You can be trusted. And for those that need to follow You, God, grant them the faith, the strength, and the courage because of Your promises and Your provision and Your power to follow after You and receive the blessing of life. Life forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.